Welcome to the Vitality Radio Podcast, your source for the truth about health, wellness, and real alternatives to drugs, surgeries, and the status quo of healthcare. Here, you'll find information that empowers you to take control of your health. But it's not just about health and wellness, it's about the politics of healthcare and protecting your health freedom. Now, here's your host, Jared St. Clair. Hello and welcome to Vitality Radio and the Vitality Radio Podcast. It's good to be with you again. I am your host each and every week. My name is Jared St. Clair and I am so excited for what I am about to bring you. This will be a a long-form interview with a woman who needs her voice to be heard in a significant way. I found out about uh, my next guest. Uh, through a uh, internet video that has since been pulled from YouTube. It was a hearing that uh, Senator Ron Johnson did in Washington, D.C. with folks who had been uh, vaccine injured. And uh, I didn't recognize at the time or realize at the time, because I guess I missed it, uh, that uh, my guest was right here in Utah, uh, not too far away from me. Uh, we ran into each other at a event at the Utah State Capitol uh, where we were urging legislators to uh, put the stop to mandates in the state of Utah for the COVID vaccines. And uh, she was gracious enough to be willing to join me on the Vitality Radio podcast. Brianne Dressen is her name. Brianne, welcome to Vitality Radio. Thanks for having me. It's really good to have you. I know that you're uh, in demand uh, and speaking a lot of places and being flown all over the country to talk to people right now. And so I appreciate you giving us your time. Tell us a little bit about just yourself so that people can be a little more aware of who you are. So I am a young mother of two young kids. I have a seven and nine-year-old. I'm a wife. I'm a preschool teacher. Unfortunately, I'm out of work right now. I volunteered for the clinical trial here in the United States for AstraZeneca, and I got my vaccine on November 4th. Uh, Before my vaccine, I was in prime physical condition. I hiked Mount Tipinogos three weeks before my shot. The average time to hike Mount Tipinogos is like nine, nine and a half hours, 10 hours, and we did it in seven. So I spent all of my, you know, free time with my kids out in the mountains and skiing and snowboarding and hiking and climbing and uh, so we were, we were really physically active, which is also part of the reason why the, the test clinic qualified me to enroll in their study. What made the decision to enroll in the study in the first place for you? What, what was the motivating factor there? So I was so confident in the COVID vaccines and that I was sure that this was our way out of the pandemic. And for me and my family, I have several family members that are in healthcare. Uh, physicians and nurses and other administrative uh, positions. My husband is a scientist, and so we're medically minded and scientifically minded people. Uh, So it was just kind of a no-brainer for me. It was like, you know, I've never had any issue with any vaccine previously. Uh, The technology seemed very intriguing at the time. And uh, the safety profile up to that point from what we had seen in the phase one and phase two of the clinical trials it, it appeared to be, you know, compelling enough that it was like, well, we're all going to be getting a vaccine at some point, so I might as well just get it done. Hmm, interesting. And what was your experience? You said you got your first one on November 4th? Yep. My, my one and only shot November 4th. And right away, within an hour, I had tingling down my arm, the same arm as my injection. 
which I thought okay. was a little strange. Uh, but then later that night, my vision had become double and blurred. And so I was watching TV and the TVs were stacked vertical. So there were two TVs instead of one. Mm. And so, I, you know, I remember telling my husband, I was like, something is not right. And later that night, uh, sound had become distorted, which I thought was strange. That night, I had a typical vaccine response that had resolved by morning, but the sound issues and, and the vision issues were still there. And my left leg was slumped and I got up to, you know, get ready for work. And I was walking into the left side of the doorways because my left leg was like slumped and it was always to the left. That day at school, you know, the kids' little voices were extremely loud. I remember telling the little preschoolers, oh, let's use our inside voices today, guys. You're super loud. Um, and it, as the day progressed, my symptoms just you know, they started piling on really quickly uh, to the point where by the end of the class period, I had to have the lights off in the classroom and I parked everybody in front of the TV so they could watch a little learning program. And I was just basically in a corner just trying to uh, survive until the class period was over. So, of course, they started calling the test clinic right away. They called me back a couple of days later. I went in and they did a neurological exam and uh said, well, you probably have MS. And so I ended up calling all of the neurology clinics in town. And of course, none of them could see me for three months. And of course, AstraZeneca was like, you need to get this figured out soon because you're in a clinical trial. We need to figure out what's happening to you. So I ended up in the emergency room. And that was one of many visits. So they did all of the tests, MRIs, lumbar punctures, uh, CT scans, all of the blood work. And they couldn't really figure out what was going on. So I was sent home to decline. They did rule out MS. So I don't have MS. I don't have transverse myelitis. I don't have any other kind of neurodegenerative disease. Uh, and we also, in the, in the months that ensued after my initial reaction, uh, we saw, I want to say, 30-something doctors over the next several months, trying to just rule out each and everything to make sure that there wasn't some kind of pre-existing condition that uh, would have caused this and nothing came up. So it, it was kind of discouraging. Uh, I ended up in my room, uh, totally by myself, isolated from my family my kids, my husband, because the sensitivity to sound became so extreme that even my husband's pants swishing was too much for my ears. It was painful. So, you know, like, if you're sitting there next to someone that sets off like a bullhorn or, you know, mm -hmm. one of those where it gives you like a physical reaction where your body just needs to just close up and it wants you to flee from the sound. Right. It's right. like, it was that kind of reaction in my body all the time from things as simple as the sound of jeans swishing, the sound of water trickling out of the shower, my little girl's voice. She's, seven. So, I mean, she sings all the time, you know, that's what little girls do. Even the sound of her little voice was too much for my ears. So I was removed from her, which was traumatizing for both of us. Uh, my skin became so sensitive that no one could touch me and my son would come and try to hold my hand and it was just too painful. I felt like my chest was on fire. So it felt like I was on fire from the inside out. I, my teeth were too sensitive. I couldn't brush my teeth. Um, and over the next couple of months, I lost over 20 pounds. And there was a point in um, during this that you could see every single rib on my body because I had lost so much weight. Uh, my tests 
I did come back with my thyroid skyrocketed right after my heart rate skyrocketed right after and it, and it continued to stay high clear until I got some actual effective therapies in June. Uh, so if you think from November to June, your heart being completely erratic and having a mind of its own, that's a long time. And I'm not sure what kind of damage, you know, has been done to my body that's going to rob years off my life down the road. And I can't think about that because, you know, I'm just, I, to be totally honest, I'm happy that I'm alive at all. So I ended up in the hospital two and a half weeks after my initial vaccination because my legs stopped working and I became incontinent. And at that point, the doctors didn't know what it was. I mean, I had extreme muscle wasting come up on my labs, which is not normal. TSH was not normal. My neutrophil to lymphocyte ratio was not normal. But I wasn't coming up with anything like uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome or any of these other really big or, you know, Bell's palsy, any of these other things that you would think would cause paralysis or, you know, motor dysfunction. So they drugged me up with a bunch of medications thinking, well, maybe it's a silent migraine. My head didn't hurt at all, but because of the sensitivity going on with all of my sensory input, they figured maybe that's what it was. So it's like, okay. So drugged up for three days. Of course, that didn't do anything. And so I was diagnosed with anxiety due to the COVID vaccine. That's the diagnosis that you ended up with. Yes. And so I, I ended up with this anxiety diagnosis that plagued me from November clear until June when I was able to go to the NIH for research because of my reaction. And there I was able to get appropriate diagnoses of neuropathy, sensory neuropathy, severe postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. That's the issues with the heart mm -hmm. and uh, tinnitus, short-term memory loss. So if I repeat myself, I'm sorry, I forget things a lot. <laughs> and actually the fact that the NIH told me that I had short-term memory loss and my husband was sitting there I think it may have saved our marriage because now when he has to repeat himself, <laughs> so now when he repeats himself, he's like, oh, right, she really can't remember this information. So it's not, you know, it's not just that I'm not listening. So thanks to the NIH, they saved my marriage, but they also, they also did save my life. There was a time early on, I want to call it the acute phase. So there's the acute phase. Uh, when the symptoms are ramping up and you're just trying to survive. And then there's the chronic phase, uh, which for me was months. And then there's the healing phase, which I think that's where I am now. Uh, during the acute phase, um, I had to learn how to walk again. My legs felt like lead weights. So, you know, it's just like hucking my knees, you know, like lifting up on my knees and my feet were just flipping around. Mm -hmm. um, I had to retrain my bladder. I had to retrain my bowels. Um, the GI, my GI issues were unreal. I still can't tolerate normal foods. I eat potatoes and chicken and that's about it. So I, I spent Christmas confined in my room by myself uh, with all of these, you know, problems going on. But then I also had this problem is I call it an internal vibration where, uh, you know, like when you were a kid and we're all, you know, you're, a kid and you do dumb things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I put in, so you know what it feels like when you put a nine volt battery on your tongue. Right. So that electrical sensation, um, it was surging through my body 24 seven. So if you imagine that zing on your tongue, and if you imagine that surging through your entire body, including your brain, it's a little bit painful. It's very electrical feeling and it doesn't stop. 
So it just persists 24 seven. There's no medication that eases it. There's no help from your medical teams because they don't know what's wrong with you. And they pegged you as, you know, anxious. Uh, so that's what was going on in my body and my brain from just after Thanksgiving, the vibration started clear until I want to say they started easing over the summer. At first it was really, really hard because it was constantly in my brain and it was so severe inside my head, um, that I couldn't see straight and I was seeing double anyway. So that didn't help. Uh, to the point where I couldn't string sentences together. I couldn't tell people what was wrong with me. I just remember going to doctors and just saying, there's something wrong. There's something wrong with me. There's something wrong. Please help me. But it was this electrical, painful electrical sensation all the time. Uh, I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. You can't sleep with that going on. So when you imagine like at the end of the day, when you're unwinding, you know, and you're trying to get ready to go to sleep, whether you're watching TV or, you know, reading a book or whatever, and your body's trying to calm itself to go to bed. Mm -hmm. If you could imagine having this electrical sensation surging through your body all the time, that's not, that's not conducive to your body being able to rest and relax and digest and, and get you to sleep. So I was deprived of sleep for weeks and months. Um, and it was to the point where I really didn't, life was not bearable. Um, I wrote, letters to my kids telling them goodbye I didn't think I was going to make it and it's not like you know you go to the ER enough you go to you end up in the hospital enough and they don't know what to do so it, now it's like well I'm just going to suffer through it and if I wake up I wake up and if I die then I die you know medical teams won't help so I ended up I'm actually really 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 surprised that I survived after talking to others and other family members who have lost loved ones because of the same reaction. It became so bad that I, sorry. <laughs> no, don't apologize. I, I ended up putting a note next to my bed that just basically said AstraZeneca did this. <laughs> and I just left the note on my nightstand, you know, in case I didn't wake up. Uh, you know, and so I spent, I didn't buy a single present for my kids for Christmas. Um, I missed out on all of those little, you know, those traditions. Um, somebody else had to take them to school. Somebody else had to put them to bed. Somebody else made all of their meals. Um, I couldn't do any of it. I was just trapped inside a body that was attacking itself 24-7. There was no break. Um, and I just, it's hard, but so it's one thing to have your body attacking itself and to try to survive, right? Have your life robbed from you. You can't work anymore. You can't take care of your kids anymore, you know? Um, and then you're just trying to survive. You're just trying to tell yourself to just breathe because that's the only thing I could control in my body is breathing. That's the only thing I could control. So I'd wake up in the morning and just say, okay, you just need to breathe in and breathe out, breathe in and breathe out. And it was minute by minute. I survived a minute by minute. And then it became hour by hour. And then eventually in like May, it became, okay, now I can live day by day. Um, so it's one thing to be trapped in a body like that, you know, and, but it's another thing to have this whole other layer of uh, 
censorship that, that's happening. And so uh, as, I, as I've now learned, there's thousands of us that are in this situation. It's the same constellation of symptoms, the same breakdown in the body. Um, they lose their jobs. They lose their livelihoods. They, you know, all of a sudden, instead of being able to take care of their kids and their communities, they need that care uh, from their kids and their communities themselves. And so it, it's a little bit of an insult to injury <laughs> to uh, be suffering, you know, in a way that is unprecedented and then to not only be suffering, but then to be attacked and, and uh, vilified for, um, for having this reaction, for having an injury. So it's been, it's been a pretty profound experience. I, <laughs> I appreciate you sharing it. And in such detail, I have to imagine you've shared this dozens and dozens of times. And I would guess that uh, you tire of uh, having to tell this story. So I appreciate you uh, being willing to tell it in such detail. I think it's really important for people to see what the real human toll is here. So let me ask you a few questions if I can. First off, we're now a year removed, a little over a year removed from that shot. Um, how are you doing right now? So I've come a long way. I've come a long way, uh, which which actually gives me a lot of hope. Um, I'm still not able to work. I still don't take care of my kids, you know, in the way that I should. Like somebody else takes them to or from soccer, you know, someone else makes them two out of the three meals every day. But I do make them one meal a day now. Uh, so we're setting the bar really low on what success looks like in this house. Um, and mm -hmm. we celebrate those successes. We celebrate those, um, you know, those things that I am able to do. I have a long way to go. Uh, recovery has not been linear. I want to say even in August, I was flat on my back again, horrible vibrations, not sure, you know, if I was going to survive or not. And, you know, and that's not that long ago. I mean, that was, no. my shot was in November. So. There's a lot of people that are eight months, nine, eight, nine months out now. And this is happening with all the brands. So uh, Pfizer, Moderna, J&J here in the U.S. I'm the only one that I know in the U.S. that has had AstraZeneca that has this reaction. But the same constellation of symptoms are happening with all the brands. And so, yeah. yeah. So the NIH has told me and they've told others that it's a immune-mediated response to the spike protein. And so I asked, I was like, well, should I go get another vaccine? Because uh, their theory is that I would respond far worse, fare far worse if I got actual COVID. Uh, and they said, absolutely not. You will respond to the same way, regardless of the brand of vaccine. Don't get a vaccine. Uh, it's obvious that that's not a safe thing for you to be doing. You reacted horribly. They said, get a plan in place with your physician ahead of time so you can get early intervention with monoclonal antibodies if you if you do actually get COVID. So that's the plan for now. And so it's, I guess, safe to assume that you never did have a diagnosis of COVID prior to the vaccine. Definitely not. And actually my okay. symptoms, my symptoms during the acute phase of my vaccine reaction uh, were so similar to COVID that I was tested over 13 times for COVID, for acute COVID. Wow. So even spinal taps, um, you know, the nose jabs, the, mm -hmm. all of that. I mean, so I definitely have not had COVID. I've had three negative nucleocapsid tests. So, and I still have all of the symptoms that are neurologically uh, there. 
with actual long haulers. And the NIH is finding that to be a compelling link at this point, uh, that long haulers have the same neural issues as the vaccine reaction group. The other strange connection with that is, is in California, there's some researchers that have found the spike protein in the non-classical monocytes of long haulers. And they have also found the spike protein in the non-classical monocytes of post-vax injured patients. Hmm. The people that get the vaccine and recover fully, they don't have the spike in their non-classical monocytes. And that's the same with the people that recover from COVID fully. And so there must be some kind of issue with the immune system not being able to clean out the um, spike appropriately in these two groups. Unfortunately, uh, because of the stigma that's been tied to, you know, having a COVID vaccine reaction, uh, we have people scattered all over the country, all over the world that uh, we're not being recognized. And because it's not being recognized, because it's not being acknowledged, uh, people are having the exact same problem with their medical teams as I had. Like me, yeah, I was early on. Nobody knew anything, right? So yeah, of course, you know, people aren't going to know and people are going to be doing guesses and it's going to be experimental treatments and all that. But we're over a year out now. And the people that have this reaction now and have been enduring with the same reaction, eight, nine months out, 10 months, summer, 11 months, they're still struggling with their medical teams in the exact same way that I struggled with mine. Um, And that's not okay. Uh, We should be able to say, hey, there's a problem. Let's figure it out. Let's talk about it. Uh, Instead, it's a a different picture as we we all have have witnessed. So the the biggest concern that I have here is uh, obviously your injuries are horrifying for anybody to have to go through and I wouldn't wish it on anybody but the challenge is within you and within the other vaccinated people who have had injuries there is this wonderful resource to learn all kinds of things that we need to know about both COVID and the COVID vaccines but the one of the first words that came out of your mouth when you started telling your story is censorship So talk to us about that because you've got – there's a couple of things. You've said that you ended up at the NIH. The NIH acknowledged that what's going on with you is directly caused by the vaccine. That's correct. Right. Yes. Okay. So we know that that's the case. So – and yet we repeatedly hear – the only thing we hear when it comes to these vaccines is safe and effective, safe and effective, safe and effective. We don't hear about the percentage of people – small or large, as it may be, uh, that they are not safe and effective for. In fact, they're recommended all the way down now to five years old. They're starting to study them on six-month-olds. What? Where's the disconnect there, in your opinion? Why are we not hearing about anything but safe and effective? So this has been a big concern of mine, um, not just for myself, but for the tens of thousands here in the U.S. that are in the same uh, boat with me with these severe neurological reactions. The concern is, is that there is a massive uh, breakdown. Um, there, there's the censorship on the side of the government agencies. There's censorship that we've all seen in social media. And there's also censorship in the media and medical and scientific censorship. I want to know 
who has the mute on everybody? <laughs> because I know for myself, I have had repeated meetings and dialogue and conversations with the heads of the FDA, the heads of the CDC, and I also was at the NIH. Uh, they know about the massive amount of people that are suffering this way. They have all of the data needed to uh, assess this in an appropriate way and provide appropriate guidance. Uh, the strange excuses that we keep getting back is, well, we need to be begin to look at this. We need to be able to look at this. And, ours, and Peter Marks told me that their system is not set up to identify multi-symptom signals. So if you have a system that isn't able to identify a reaction that presents with more than one symptom, but at the same time, you're going to turn around and say, the data is overwhelming. These are safe and effective everybody line up and get your shot. I genuinely know for a fact that not a single person in this country is being provided informed consent. I really, I don't care if people get vaccinated or not. My husband, he's been fully vaccinated. He got vaccinated after this happened to me. So this isn't a question of the vaccines are bad, the vaccines are good. For me, this is a, just a very basic, you know, it's, it's basic. It's what's happening with the data and are people being afforded proper and full disclosure of what the benefits are and what the risks are. The problem is, is we know what the benefits are, right? Uh, we know that it can prevent serious illness and death, right? We know that in some cases it can prevent transmission, but the risks we don't know what the risks are. And I know for a fact that people don't know what the risks are. And to me, until we're actually able to assess the risks, until we are actually able to disclose the risks to the public, I think that mandates are irresponsible. I think that they are dangerous. What we are doing with these mandates is we are telling other people that this is, you know, an open and shut case when it's not. Um, I had a conversation with one of the FDA uh, vaccine advisory committee members. He's the chief editor at the New England Journal of Medicine, which published my case, my, uh, my drug company's study, mm -hmm. which I'm not in it. And so I discussed that with him and said, hey, your study is inaccurate. This needs to be rectified. You need to modify your study. And um, he has no interest in modifying their study. And he told me point blank. Um, the data you need to talk to AstraZeneca about the data because the drug companies are the ones that have the data. Nobody else has the data. So the FDA and the CDC are telling people that they have overwhelming data that says that these are safe and effective. In the meantime, you have people uh, representing tens of thousands of injured people that are repeatedly pounding down their doors, repeatedly having meetings with them. And they know we exist. They know that these issues are happening. It's not a question of unfounded claims. It's not a question of, well, maybe there's just anxiety. It's like, no, we went to the NIH. There was a bunch of us that went to the NIH. We were diagnosed with neuropathy. Neuropathy is not anxiety. I don't know why people think that these claims are unfounded. Everybody's got medical records that illustrate that this is there is a actual physiological and clinical response to the to the vaccines. Uh, and these people do need to be taken seriously. So 
So when you say you don't appear in the AstraZeneca study, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So the New England Journal of Medicine, they published a report at the end of September. And in the report, it says that the all serious adverse events are followed up on for 730 days. They followed up with me for 60 days. So if you think about a persisting neurological problem in someone and you're telling the public that you're following them uh, when they're not. So AstraZeneca is not following my case. They have not been following my case. There's a lot of really good data and information that we've been able to gather uh, in regards to what has happened to me and many others that AstraZeneca does not have that in the reports because they stopped following me at day 60. Um, in the report, they also said that the people that didn't get the second dose, they chose to not get the second dose. And that's not accurate in my case, for sure. They told me not to get the second dose. So I was unblinded because my reaction was so severe and I was dropped from the study. They also signed a contract with me saying that they would sign, that they would pay any um, medical bills, medical expenses. And they called in July and August and they said, hey, we're ready to make a payment. So great. And they said, if we're going to issue a payment of $590. And so we said, well, I think that's missing a couple of zeros, don't you think? And they said, oh, well, and, you know, it was obvious whoever was calling didn't understand fully how much money we were out. So we said, don't issue a payment, go back to AstraZeneca and come back with a number that actually is reasonable. Later that day, the test clinic wired $590 to our account. And we have not heard from them since we responded to them. And we said, just per our conversation, we asked you to go back and make sure that you can actually uh, provide us with a figure that actually is reasonable. Um, we asked you to not pay us yet. So that's where that stands. So I can definitively say the drug company is not taking care of my case. Uh, unfortunately, uh, that's just AstraZeneca sad part about this is, is now we're starting to see this with Pfizer. Um, there's a, a really interesting study uh, report done out of the BMJ. Uh, I recommend people go and find it where um, they covered issues with the reporting with Pfizer through a whistleblower. Uh, the whistleblower talks about people being unblinded so that the data doesn't need to be disclosed. It doesn't need to be counted. Uh, which is exactly what happened in my case. I was unblinded, so my data didn't need to count. If you think about that happening to one or two people out of 30,000 participants, okay. But what if that's, you know, the full one and a half, two percent that drop from the trials and they're unblinded? Why are they unblinded? That data really matters. Now, if you look at the public rollout, the same thing's happening in the public rollout. There is a certain percentage of people that they get one dose and they stop. They don't get the second. Why can't they get the second? We need to be looking into that. We need to be investigating that. Instead, we've put all of our eggs in the Vaccinate America basket, and we have left no room to um, provide any kind of appropriate intervention or attention for the damage. Uh, that the vaccines do, you know, cause. 
So when you say unblinded, I want to make sure everybody listening understands that this this was a double blind uh, study that you were part of. Half of the participants were getting a placebo and half were getting the real vaccine. That's accurate. And you were in the half that got the vaccine, but you didn't know that at that time. So when did they make the choice to tell you that you had received the actual dose? My physicians requested that I be unblinded and the test clinic did as well uh, upon my first hospital admission just before Thanksgiving. So okay. when my legs stopped working, they're like, we need to figure out if you actually had the vaccine. And if you didn't, then, you know, then we're going to figure out what else is going on. Well, it was from the vaccine. And then as soon as you get unblinded, then they basically remove you from the study in terms of uh, the data that they present to FDA. So this is what's strange. We're trying to figure this out because they followed me for 60 days. So they unblinded me. And they sent me all over town saying, you need to figure this out, you know, go to all these specialists, we're going to pay for you to go to all these specialists. And I have intensive in home physical therapy, occupational therapy in my house. That's how bad it was. Uh, And they were supposed to pay for all of it, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. It became obvious in January that they weren't going to be uh, providing any payment. Uh, So I had to stop physical therapy and occupational therapy at home because it was obvious that we didn't have the money to pay for it. And then we had to start the paperwork to refinance the house to pay for the massive amount of medical bills that we had uh, accrued already. And that was just two months of medical bills um, that, you know, sunk us pretty quick. And we also had to hire a nanny and take care of the kids. The whole thing, we were a sinking ship over here. It was a nightmare. Um, But yes, so the the clinical trial, I was unblinded. Um, They collected all of my medical records for the next, you know, from for 60 days, right? And then it was radio silence. Uh, so I think they were holding on, holding on, holding on, trying to see if there was some kind of pre-existing condition that was going to pop up in any of my testing. And it didn't. Uh, it, it kept pointing back to there being a issue with my nervous system, a central nervous system issue. That's what all of the records kept coming back as. And so, uh, yeah, so that's where that stands. The problem with the the clinical trials that we've noticed, there's no, there's a couple of issues, obviously. What's happening to the data, right? Who's screening the data? Um, in the clinical trial app that we all had on our phone to track our symptoms every day, uh, it was just a bullet list and there was a bunch of symptoms that you know you would expect from a typical vaccine reaction. There was no free form to enter, hey, my leg stopped working, internal vibrations, my body's being electrocuted, I'm losing all kinds of weight, I have muscle wasting. There was no, no way to report that through the app. <clears throat> so it had to be reported through the test clinic. So the problem with that is, is that it no longer is patient-reported data. It then is put through a third person, and then it becomes clinician-reported. So then the steps to report those symptoms is not as easy as pre-designated symptoms on a bullet list. Uh, And then you run into issues with reporting bias um, and uh, whatever other filters that may, you know, play a role. And then of course, you know, just like the editor of the New England Journal of Medicine told me yesterday, the data is with the drug companies. So we don't have access to the data and we won't have access to the data for years. So this vaccine is not like previous vaccines. 
This is not like polio. This is not like MMR. <clears throat> it's not capable of eradicating the disease as we've seen. It's, it wasn't ever capable of eradicating the disease. Um, so it's sad to see that it's still being held to that standard that it is capable of doing that when it's just, it's not. Uh, Israel was vaccinated. They've been really interesting. The, the stuff that's been going on in Israel, almost 80% of them were vaccinated and Delta came through and they ended up with just as many breakthrough cases as we did here. Um, they also are, you know, doing the boosters and they're still having problems with breakthrough cases. This vaccine is not capable of eradicating the disease. This is not a polio vaccine. It's, it's not. The data isn't there. It's a brand new technology. This is not the same kind of technology we've used in previous vaccines. So we need to hold this in a different light than previous vaccines. I'm still going to get my kids their MMRs. I'm still going to get my kids their polio vaccines. They're still going to get their other vaccines. But with this one, the NIH has told me not to have them get their COVID vaccines. They cannot get them. The sad thing is, is that because none of this information is provided to the public, we now have people in our groups with their kids being injured, of course. Uh, we have one mother who she herself had a COVID vaccine injury similar to mine. Injury persists to this day. She went and got her kids vaccinated, both of them, and they both have the same injuries. Yeah. That's tragic. <clears throat> so then it's an interesting there's so much to unpack here with all of it. But one of the things that I want to make clear, well, let me just ask you this. Have you been labeled an anti-vaxxer for speaking out about this? Yes. And it's actually been pretty effective. If you think about it, uh, it's the same playbook that has been used for generations, right? You don't like what somebody's doing. Slap a label on them, call them a name, discount them, brush them aside. And that's exactly what's happening to the vaccine injured. The sad thing is, is that this has a very, very dark, severe impact on the injured. We have yes. people that have committed suicide. Uh, we have, when I say suicide, like I'm talking the vast majority of people in our groups have considered it. It's not even like it's rare. And it's not just because their bodies are attacking themselves. It's because there's this whole added layer of censorship that is making people marginalized, delegitimize. You know, we're not legitimate people. We're, we're being right. dehumanized. And so for some reason, that's been very effective, right? Everybody's, um, you know, there's two camps. There's the, you got to vaccinate or you're, you're an anti-vaxxer, right? And it's just like, if, if you're an anti-vaxxer, the stereotypes with that are you're uh, a Trumpster, right? So you must have voted for Donald Trump. You uh, are uneducated, right? So uh, mm -hmm. even at the event we just did, I had someone come up to me and she put her you know, middle finger in my face and she said, you uneducated bleep, 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 bleep. And it's like, okay, I have a bachelor's of science. My husband's a PhD scientist. Last week, I was at Washington, D.C. with some of the nation's lead scientists and physicians. I mean, okay, if you want to talk about the science, let's talk about the science. She wouldn't do it. it yeah, so there's all those stereotypes. And you just put people in a box, and then they're nice and packaged, nice in their little box, and you can brush them aside, right? And they're fine. They're over there with their little club. The problem is 
is we have people on all parts of the spectrum. There's even people in our group that are injured that are cool with the mandates still. So, and then of course, why and why blame people like people that have been injured like this and discounted and brushed aside and, you know, essentially abused. I don't blame them one bit for, you know, standing out on a street corner saying, stop the poison, you know, because their life has been wrecked and they're not getting help. Had the government agencies done what they were supposed to, what they have promised to the public and what they repeatedly promised to the public, what were they supposed to do? They were supposed to be tracking adverse events. They were supposed to be providing support for those that do suffer adverse events. But instead, they have branded the vaccine injured. They have been able to easily put them into an unvaccinated box, call them anti-vaxxers. And then they call it a day. The sad thing is, is that we're losing people. Literally, we are losing good people because of this. I'm talking parents. I'm talking moms and dads, talking kids, family members. It's, it's something that needs to change. And it's something that we're not going to stop talking about until the injured are taken care of appropriately. When people started coming out with long COVID after, you know, after um, the first huge outbreak of COVID, and people started having these persistent symptoms with COVID, it took them a few months to get uh, recognition and help as well. Uh, but they were able to get it. They are taken seriously. Um, there is awareness that needs to happen with long haulers as well. But with us, it's a whole other layer of censorship that's going on. There's a reason that we're not seeing this on YouTube. There's a reason that you're not seeing this on TV. I firsthand have talked to every single mainstream media outlet out there. I have sent them our medical records from the NIH. I have sent them dialogues from the heads of the agencies. They can't run it. Their news desks, you know, they say, we can't make the vaccines look bad. And they come back and they say, I'm sorry, I can't make the vaccines look bad. So that's just the media censorship. Um, and since our event we did with Senator Ron Johnson in Washington, D.C., that's been pulled off of YouTube. Uh, lead scientists have been pulled off YouTube for testifying at that hearing. I'm talking like Robert Kaplan. He's been cited over 69,000 times. He's a lead scientist and lead physician. We have Peter Doshi, editor of the BMJ. Linda Wastilla, mm-hmm. she has like over 30 years in pharmacovigilance PhD there, Adivi Bhargava. She develops and works with mRNA all day, every day in her research uh, for other diseases. We had Iona Heath, who is a former um, president of the British Medical Association. So basically the equivalent of the US, you know, American Medical Association. Mm -hmm. So these are not So when you're talking about science, like these guys know the science, right? They know that there's flaws in the science. They know that this is not something that um, is black and white. And they also, they came to DC to essentially defend scientific integrity. Uh, But they were humbled once they got there to meet all of the uh, injured, to put a face to what is happening to the very real lives that are being impacted in a severe way because of how this is being managed at a federal level, through the media, through social media. And so we're science-loving people. 
there's no so when we're talking about the stereotypes the stereotypes for me they're comical because our organization uh react19.org uh we are you know working on it's an advocacy organization for uh vaccine victims because the government's not helping us we have to do it ourselves uh research we have to do the research ourselves we have to figure this out on our own we're all each other has we are founded by physicians and phd's we wear masks when we go to the stores. We wear masks when we're in indoor events. You know, my kids, they still go to school in masks. They're the two kids in their class that wear masks. Um, I don't want to flood the hospitals with, you know, COVID or overwhelm the hospital systems. I have all respect in the world uh, for the healthcare workers that, you know, were working for months and months and months in these horrible conditions. Uh, the trauma that they have seen the horrible deaths that they have witnessed. Um, it's, it's traumatic hearing those stories, right? COVID's a real thing. Vaccine injuries are also a real thing. We don't need to be putting people in boxes to discount them and hope that they go away because the only way for them to go away, and I've seen it many times, is when they're six feet under. So why are we allowing this to happen? I mean, I thought that this was 2021. I thought we had made a lot of progress in social justice, right? I mean, right. <laughs> and it's not happening for the vaccine injured. Well, so it's an interesting thing too cuz you mentioned uh, healthcare workers, you know, we've seen the yard signs and the billboards, you know, saying that the healthcare workers through this pandemic are are heroes and yet we have thousands of them uh, either losing their jobs or being threatened to lose their job if they're not willing to take these experimental vaccines. And all of a sudden we go from hero to anti-vaxxer. Bam, one box to the other. And the same thing for you. Anybody signing up for AstraZeneca, Johnson & Johnson, Moderna, the media, you know, Pfizer, the media was saying, hey, these people are heroes. They're, they're jumping in. They're, they're doing their part to serve the greater good by jumping into these trials. And you did that. You put yourself at risk, although clearly maybe you didn't think the risk is what it actually ended up being, but you put yourself at risk. You were a quote unquote hero, and then you got injured and now you're a villain. How does that work? I mean, is can you even wrap your head around that from the position that you sit in? I can't. Um, and to, for me personally, I actually, I don't care what people call me. I don't because I know, I know who I am and I know what I stand for. And I, I know it in my bones that what I am doing is the right thing. Um, I think it's the right thing for the greater good. It's the right thing for humanity as a whole, but for the injured that are being pummeled, right. And they're being pummeled from all directions and they can't get any help. And it's just a sinking ship. It really, that's where it, that's where I have a hard time. Um, I want to help everybody that's in this situation. I think everybody should have the very basic medical care and they're not getting it. I was talking to my husband last night about this and, you know, the U S we're supposed to have top of the line medical care, right? We're supposed to be leading cutting edge in science and technology advancements. I mean, that's how we became the, you know, world's superpower was by funneling money into the technological and medical and scientific advancements. We had mm -hmm. the free and open discussion in this country 
where we did challenge those those concepts um, and the theories and you know the laws of nature, uh, but that's not happening anymore. Um, and because of that, we will not be able to remain a superpower in the world because the laws of nature are going to do uh, what they're going to do, whether we talk about it or not. So the vaccines are going to only be effective to a certain level, whether we talk about it or not. Just because we don't talk about it doesn't mean that we're not going to have breakthrough infections, that we're not going to have vaccine injuries. So putting the blinders on is not going to do us any favors. Taking an objective look, however, and looking at all of the, you know, the issues and the concerns and raising those questions, examining them, uh, and actually having access to the data, which we don't have, that's when we're going to actually be able to make advancements, get us out of the pandemic, and really come up with strategies that are going to be effective. Yeah, and like you said, turning a blind eye and actually not not just turning a blind eye, but smashing anything that doesn't just fit the basic narrative of vaccinate everyone, that's how we get out of this, is is the most backwards line of thinking ever because we now have more than enough evidence that that is not how we get out of this, that that vaccinating everybody isn't going to fix the problem at all. And uh, and so we, we have to look at it and say, okay, so if COVID is a real thing and COVID is really making people sick and some people are dying from COVID and we're concerned about COVID, then we need answers for that that actually work. And when it comes to the vaccines, it appears based on the research that's actually being provided by the drug companies and by CDC and NIH, that that is not the case. And as you said, Israel is a glaring example of how that that, that the vaccines in this case cannot be the answer, or at least certainly can't be the answer all on their own. And recognizing these things and then looking into them and figuring out, okay, well, what are our other options would make all kinds of sense. And yet... I say again and again, since March of 2020, to me, it feels like logic has just been turned off. We're not thinking of any of this stuff logically. It all seems to be agenda-driven. And trying to figure out what that agenda is, 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 you know, you can follow any rabbit hole down the internet that you'd like to in terms of trying to figure out where all this is coming from. But the fact of the matter is, it's real. This video that we're recording right now, I will be releasing on Rumble because I can't release it on YouTube. YouTube will squash it in a heartbeat because this is an anti-vax video. Now, if you've listened to the first 50 minutes of this video, does this sound like an anti-vax video? Does it sound like I'm talking to someone who is an anti-vaxxer? Or does it sound like a true story about someone who was very pro-vaccine, went and did her part in the trials, got injured, and is trying to just tell her story? Is that anti-vax or is that truth? And why are we censoring truth and calling it anti-vax? There's a lot of questions to be to be asked, I believe. So let me ask you this. You keep saying thousands. I think you even said tens of thousands. What numbers do you have uh, based on your research that would indicate how many people have actually been injured uh, as far as you can tell? So the uh, the numbers are all over the place. Obviously, it would be nice if the government would disclose these numbers from the various data that they um, they have. The strange thing about the various data is with our meetings with them, 
uh, they talk about how the bears data is very accurate and it's conclusive and all this stuff. But then when they talk to the public, like, ah, the various data is not really legitimate, and blah, 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 blah. So there's this argument that even they themselves are using, you know, the various data is telling us you don't exist. And then to the public, well, the various data is not reliable. So it's mm -hmm. kind of strange. But if you do look into the bears reports, um, there are 22,000 reports of paresthesias, which is the beginnings of neuropathy. Um, there are over 60,000 people with dizziness. And dizziness is something that all of us have, and it also plays back to postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. Uh, there's tinnitus re uh, reported many times. I can't remember the numbers on tinnitus. As far as our membership that we have, we're sitting at about 12,000, and that's just here in the U.S. And these are people that have typical, uh, their typical sequence of events are similar to mine where it's a neurological decline that ensues for literally months. And they, the end result it appears to be some kind of neuropathy. Uh, and that can come in a couple of different forms as, as you know, a small fiber neuropathy, non-link dependent neuropathy, or central nervous system neuropathy. Uh, there is a study that was just released. It's uh, been submitted for peer review. They went through all of the VARES data and uh, by brand, and they, uh, the data from Pfizer was pretty interesting because it showed that 28, 26 to 28% of all of the reports reported through VAERS for Pfizer for the youngest age group. So like 10 to 16, I think was the first one. 26 to 28% of all of the reports in VAERS tied back to nervous system, central nervous system neuropathy. So if you're a kid, and you've got a neuropathy problem and you're reporting it to a government agency, I think that's a severe problem that we need to be looking into. To me, that right there is like an alarm bell, like, okay, we need to look into this. It doesn't have to be stop everything and everybody panic. It's, oh, here's a safety signal. Maybe we should look into this. Uh, the right. age bracket just older than that. Um, so it's like 16 to 20 something years old. It's the same sequence. It's the same sequence of events. 26, 28% of people have central nervous system neuropathy, central neuropathy. That's not a headache. That's not nausea. That's not dizziness. It doesn't resolve over three days. It's stuck in your, in your system for months. Um, and my hope is that the younger generation, because their bodies are younger, that they won't be stuck in a persistent, uh, you know, cycle like the rest of us. But even in our groups, the average age is like 35, 33 to 35. These are not people that are having this happen in, you know, advanced age. This is happening to young and healthy individuals. Over 70% of the people in our groups uh, do not have any pre-existing medical conditions. Uh, we've thoroughly gone through that data because we all want to get better. So we're like, there's got to be something connecting everybody uh, to figure out, you know, what's actually happening but we can't find any of those identifiers. The vast majority of the groups are Pfizer and Moderna. There's a smaller portion that have J&J. &J. Uh, it's just kind of proportionate to the distribution in the US. Um, mm -hmm. You know, who got Moderna, Moderna, who got Pfizer, and how many got J&J. &J. There are many, many, many breakthrough infections happening with the fully vaccinated cohort in our groups. As we have seen in the general public, some do end up hospitalized, yes. As far as fatalities go, 
the fatalities in our groups are from their vaccine reactions or from suicide. Not from COVID. So far, not from COVID. Uh, okay. because, we, because we fortunately have the knowledge in our groups to go, okay, maybe we need to look uh, beyond just the vaccines for preventative measures. So we've looked into early intervention, monoclonal antibodies. Some people have tried ivermectin. The other thing is ivermectin is like this word that derails the vaccine injury conversation all the time. Um, yep. Ivermectin is not going to cure the vaccine injuries. Um, they also, my personal, they're not a magical cure for COVID either, but the vaccines are not a magical cure for COVID either. Uh, monoclonal antibodies are not a magical cure for COVID. We don't have a silver bullet for uh, prevention to eliminate COVID. We don't. It doesn't exist. Um, so we need to keep looking for those uh, options and we need to look at them objectively and we need to look at the data openly and we need to discuss it openly. And, and that's the thing is without open discussion, science can't be science, right? I mean, isn't that what science is, is debating the validity of various theories and trying to figure out what's actually true. And if we just make the assumption that vaccines for COVID are, one, the answer, two, safe, and three, effective for everybody that takes them, then we are missing the mark completely. And then, of course, the next thing they love to do after they label someone an anti-vaxxer is they then label them anti-science. You know, that's that's one of my favorites, right? And you you guys, your family, clearly very anti-science. Uh, and so it's like, you know, yeah, yeah, that's us. So, you know, we have a, a sign out in our yard that says uh, science with a big red, you know, slash through it, right? It's just absurd. And yet this is an interesting thing because I think there are a few things to kind of unpack in terms of how the censorship is affecting this. Because you say that you have about 12,000 people in your group. You're talking about react19.org. Yeah, right? and that's just, 12, that's just our there. organization. Yep. Yeah. And those are 12,000 people who have had to find that this organization actually exists, which is not an easy mission because whatever is being posted, I have to assume, is being censored all over the place on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube. Is that safe to yes. say? Yes. Yes. Okay. And our and our support groups get pulled apart too. So yeah. we find each other and they pull us apart. And then we find each other and they pull us apart. And so then to have 12,000 people who've actually been able to connect and say, you know, hey, I got this too. Is there somebody that can help me? There must be more. Thousands, I would anticipate, more than just the 12,000 that, that are there. And so that's that's one issue. You know, as well as I do, that isolation is incredibly dangerous for someone who is ill, regardless of what the illness is. If you feel like you're alone, you are alone. And that can be more devastating than the illness itself, which I would anticipate is one of the biggest reasons why the suicidal ideations and attempts uh, end up uh, being a part of this thing. So you're 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 being s you're being split up. You're being kept apart, and yet you've still put together twelve thousand. So there's we. It's safe to assume there's far more than that. Let me ask you this: VARES, you mentioned it. I don't think that the majority of people in America know that that even exists. Did you know it existed prior to your experience? 
I did not. I do think that there's more um, awareness because of the COVID vaccines that the virus system sure. does exist. Yeah. Uh, we've had, even in our meetings with the FDA, we've discussed the issues, the reporting issues with VAERS, how it takes over 20 minutes to file one report. Uh, mm -hmm. We also have done surveys in our groups to see just how much follow-up is coming from the CDC and the FDA uh, after the VAERS reports are filed. Only 11% of the individuals in our groups are followed up with after they file a severe uh, reaction report. A severe wow. reaction in VAERS uh, qualifies uh, if you died or if you have been hospitalized. Uh, as far as the death reports, uh, the FDA and CDC uh, repeatedly say that they follow up with 100% of the death reports. We know for a fact that they don't. We did a survey on that as well, and they follow up with 22%. So that's this whole thing just keeps going back to we don't have the data to be able to definitively say that mandates are a reasonable option. We do not have the data. We have not allowed enough time to pass. And also, we're not looking for it. We're not casting out the net. And and we don't have the manpower at these government agencies or the manpower is not being provided, whatever the case may be, it's not there to gather the data to fully assess the potential risks and benefits of the vaccines. We just don't know. And to be clear, VAERS is Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. It's been in place for decades. Uh, most people have never heard of it because most because we didn't have mass vaccination with one vaccine in a one-year period with this amount of side effects. I mean, this vaccine or these vaccines, whether it be the one that you received or the three that are available here in the States, uh, in, according to VAERS, uh, is causing more damage than all the other vaccines through the history of the VAERS system combined. And so all of a sudden it is getting reported, sort of. I mean, you know, people put up posts on the VAERS data and they get pulled from YouTube and Twitter and, and Facebook as well. But if you're looking, you can find this stuff now. But that brings up another point. If there is a, an individual in your position, Brianne, who has recently been injured or, or, or been injured at any time since they received their, their vaccine, and they don't know VAERS exists, and they don't know React 19 exists, how do they even find this stuff? I mean, you got to dig around a lot to even find what you're looking for if you're in that position. And it's, to me, that is just another part of this tragedy, is that we do have people like you sitting at home thinking that they're all alone. There aren't 12,000 people in an organization talking to each other and supporting each other and trying to get the word out. And it's, oh my gosh, I'm not even in your position. It frustrates the hell out of me. So I, uh, I can only imagine if I was. This group of 12,000, you have people who are family members of those who have died from yes. vaccines. Do you know how many of those are in your group? Uh, we're in the hundreds with that one. Hundreds, okay. And um, so- the the problem with the the vaccine deaths is grief is a whole other animal um as oh, we yeah. all know you know uh so there's people that um after losing their loved one and you know and you see this with covid too 
uh, people lose their loved one from COVID uh, and they, they're either angry uh, or, you know, they just want to grieve on their own. Um, there's a lot of different, you know, places on the spectrum of grief that people can land. And it's the same with the vaccines as well. There's some people that um, are very angry and those are the ones that end up, you know, reaching out to us and saying, Hey, you know, this is a huge injustice. What's happened to my family member. My family member died and people are calling us anti-vaxxers and evil. And we just need to shut up and sit down. And so they come to us asking for support, for validation, just for recognition. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And I know this firsthand from my own situation, it's incredible what just simple recognition and acknowledgement can do for someone in this situation because it's repeated. Like we are repeatedly pummeled nonstop. <clears throat> no, that's not real. That didn't happen. Or you guys are stupid for getting the vaccine to begin with, you know? <laughs> so it's like, we're, we're being hit with arrows from both sides. There's no, there's no winning with this. When in reality, all people need is for someone to say, yes, your reaction should be acknowledged and it should be counted. And it's like with the people that have suffered fatalities, their family members, yes, your loved one's fatality should be recognized and it should be counted. We've made it way more complicated than it needs to be. This is not like a Republican or Democrat issue to me. This is a issue of humanity, like basic humanity. <laughs> it, it doesn't need to be as complicated as we've made it. Um, we need to take care of each other. Uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, we all did our part. We social distanced. We, you know, we were very respectful to each other, trying to make sure that we were taking care of the elderly and all that. We need to get back to where we're taking care of each other instead of ripping each other apart. I think that whoever is driving this agenda, this is just my own totally personal opinion, they've done a very effective job at keeping everybody in their own echo chambers separated. Mm -hmm. um, and they've done a really good job at dividing us even further. Um, I think that what we need to do is humanity as a community um, as family members, as the medical community. So we need to find our common ground and we need to start from there. What common ground looks like for me, being someone who I feel is, you know, in the middle uh, of all of the chaotic back and forth is we look at, okay, whether you want the vaccine or not, that's great. Um, but I would think that even if you want the vaccine, right, that you want to know fully what could potentially happen if something were to go wrong or if it goes right, that data isn't there. Full disclosure is not happening. Um, and until that happens, I feel that all of this other stuff, the cascade on both sides, right? The arguments on both sides, they're both based on flawed information and flawed data. Um, so I think that we need to take a step back and say, we don't have the full picture. We don't have all of the answers. And maybe we should listen to each other. Maybe we should start in the middle. Well, the hypocrisy on the government level is just gross. Uh, the government and media as well. Something that I talked about on my show a few years ago now, because I don't remember exactly when this passed, but all the national chains of restaurants now have to list the calories in their menu items. You drive up to a Wendy's or you go to a 
Cracker Barrel or, you know, pick your restaurant, Olive Garden, whatever it is. And they have to have the calories listed uh, on their items so that a customer can make an informed decision about what burger they're going to purchase. Or maybe they'll get the grilled chicken because it has 200 less calories than the cheeseburger, right? And they can see how many calories are in a 32-ounce soda versus a 16-ounce soda. Heck, in New York City, where they're talking mandates like, you know, nobody else in New York and California, you can't even buy a soda bigger than 16 ounces because it's just not good for the public health in order to have that. So that that freedom, whatever that's worth, is, has been taken away from us because soda's dangerous. Well, hey, I run a health food store. And I do a nutrition podcast, and I couldn't agree more that soda is dangerous. On the flip side, I say drink all you want. That's your choice. Go for it. I don't care. You get to do that. But from a governmental standpoint, the hypocrisy is unbelievable. We have to tell our citizens how many calories are in a cheeseburger versus a chicken sandwich, but we don't have to tell them what the risks are to the COVID vaccine that we want to mandate. How does that make sense? It's, it's an outright filtration. Like it's frustrating for me because they're telling people that they are disclosing this to the public. Right. Repeatedly, even in the FDA meeting, they had just barely for the kids, five to 11 year olds, you know, after they all approved it, they continued to talk about, we're going to approve this, but it's not to impose mandates and it's not a one size fits all but we're going to approve this. So it's available for those high risk populations that may need it. But, and they, several of them on the FDA committee discussed natural immunity and the role that has to play with young kids. They discussed that those with natural immunity may not need the vaccines. Instead, what we got in the media, right, was this whole other angle of, the vaccines for kids for all and everybody go get your kids inoculated. And that's the end of it. When the people that actually approved it, they themselves were bringing up some very good questions that still need to be answered. And the Biden administration has already purchased enough vaccines for every single kid, five to 11 in this country, uh, which begs the question, if they bought one for everybody, they are planning on giving them to everybody one way or another. At least that uh, has to be the the approach, I think. And again, this it is interesting that, you know, you say it doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat, you're right or left. And yet there is a very obvious uh, division there too. And I think, in my opinion, that is intentional. We want to always divide people into their groups and create this division that uh, allows for a, or uh, makes – for a very challenging public discourse, if you can even have one at all, uh, because I already hate you because you voted for Biden and you already hate me because I voted for Trump. And so why would we talk about the COVID vaccine and informed cons consent, right? And so this, it, it, oh my gosh, it's just, it's maddening. So there are a couple of terms that you've used that you <laughs> are so familiar with now that I have to anticipate you weren't familiar with then, uh, VAERS being one, informed consent. Can we talk about that for just a minute? W what does that mean to you uh, when it comes to, well, I'll just say medicine in general, but specifically these vaccines? So informed consent is a, uh, and I actually signed an informed consent document when I participated in my clinical trial. And uh, it had all of the known risks uh, to date on that report. MS was one of them. 
transverse myelitis was another. They had all of them listed on there. And so we're like, okay, you know, that's the risks. So informed consent is a cornerstone of medical ethics in the United States. Every single American should be informed, you know, provided proper and full informed consent. If you don't have proper informed consent, uh, you are not being provided the full scope of the risks and benefits. And therefore, you are making decisions based on biased data. You're making blind decisions. You're going to expose yourselves to benefits and risks that you actually don't even understand what they are. So informed consent is a, it's a very important part of this puzzle to me. And I think it's probably the most important part. It's not about whether or not to vaccinate. It's about making sure that you actually understand what can happen and what can't. Um, I'll tell you right now, proper informed consent in this country is if you get COVID, you're going to get help. You will even be able to get disability. You'll get medical care. Heck, you end up in the hospital, the government's going to cover your bills for your COVID infection. If you get a vaccine reaction, you're going to get gaslit. You're going to get abandoned. You will not get help. Uh, you won't get help. Oh, or $590. Yeah. I got $590. <laughs> so excited about that. Uh, you you won't, you know, if there's problems with your job um, because of your injury, you won't be able to get appropriate medical exemption for subsequent vaccine dosing. Um, those things are happening all the time with our groups. It's so sad. There's a gal, she, uh, she's a PhD scientist back East. She had to, she works for a university. She had to get seven doctor's notes saying she's had a severe vaccine reaction. She shouldn't get subsequent doses. And the university still put her on paid or unpaid administrative leave. So even with the mandates, we're not providing appropriate exemptions to people that absolutely should have them. Like, I don't know anyone in their right mind that would like look at somebody that's in this situation and say, you need to go get a second dose or else you're going to kill other Americans. That doesn't make any sense to me. So we're not taking care of the injured. We're not taking care of them, period. If you end up injured from a COVID vaccine, you're not going to get help, period. Um, the government, this is sad and this is really honest, but this is fact. The government uh, stripped liability from the drug companies in 1986. We have no financial recourse with the drug companies. So that means that we're not able to get financially compensated for these injuries. People are losing their homes. Um, they can no longer work. They cannot get disability because these are not recognized actual reactions. Even though we have papers from the NIH saying this is happening, it all funnels back to the CDC and FDA doing their job and disclosing the reactions to the public. Had they done this to begin with, we would not be having this conversation. I would not be pushing for this out of my own home. You know what I mean? Like I would be focused inward. I would be able to focus on my own healing and probably have like a cute little support group on Facebook where we all exchange like what supplements we're working on and what therapies we're using. But instead we're pushing this outward because this is a real problem. This is impacting real people. Real people are dying. Real people are out of work. Real people are suffering unthought of, you know, physical uh, pain, emotional pain. Um, it's just, 
it's unreal what's happening. I never, ever would have believed this in my wildest dreams had I not been living it firsthand. Because the government has absolved all responsibility from the drug companies, these are the people that have the data from the clinical trials. There's no accountability. There's no liability, right? And these are the people that we are trusting to disseminate the data from the clinical trials, package it up and, and show us the information. What possibly could go wrong with that picture, right? There's, you know, there's so many things that's wrong with that picture. We're supposed to have yeah. stop gaps and protocols in place to protect the American public from exactly what we're talking about now, which is corruption from the very top. This trickling all the way down, harming innocent Americans and keeping them sick. Well, and it's so important, too, I think, for people to understand one of the biggest challenges with this, the entire uh, March through November, March 2020 through November of 2021 so far, here we are. And we're, you know, we're approaching two years in this mess that we're in. And the biggest challenge that I think I have seen is the what the only word I can come up with is propaganda in that we keep hearing the same talking points over and over again across all of the major news organizations. And they are basically as follows, safe and effective, right? Um, that's that's one of the biggest ones that just is on both sides is not being proven to be true. They're not safe, at least not for everyone. And they're not effective uh, in the way that we've always been told vaccines are supposed to be effective. You mentioned that at the beginning, right? A vaccine is supposed to prevent a disease. These vaccines do not prevent COVID-19. What they do do, we don't exactly know because the data is all over the place on that. And it's different in different populations and it's different at different levels of, of vaccination. And there and and there's even strange things that are being played with in terms of the numbers. You're not considered fully vaccinated until two weeks after your vaccine. So you're an interesting case because you started experiencing symptoms within, I think you said, an hour of your dose, right? So you weren't fully vaccinated. You know that, right? Until two weeks later. I'm unvaccinated. <laughs> right. So if you go to the hospital, uh, then you are an unvaccinated person with uh, these symptoms, right? So the, the the words have been twisted and turned in such a way to make everything seem like something else than what it actually is. And one of the biggest things that I think is really, really important is that these vaccines are free. Well, these vaccines aren't free, right? You don't have to pay out of pocket for a vaccine, but our government, uh, also known as you, the taxpayer, are paying for every one of these vaccines, whether you choose to get one or not. They are being paid for, and there is money being made on these vaccines. Pfizer and Johnson & Johnson and Moderna and AstraZeneca, these people are making billions of dollars on these vaccines, and never has money ever, ever, ever been shown to corrupt anybody. Right. In the history of the world, that's never been a thing. And interestingly enough, prior to COVID-19, the numbers on in terms of level of public trust in drug manufacturers were not good. They were very, very low. The numbers of public trust in the uh, Congress of the United States, not good. And yet here we have those two and, and even the, the media now is just getting hammered in terms of the public trust. So we have these three different arms of power that are pushing a specific narrative and a specific agenda that 
are all three arms that nobody apparently trusts, and yet everybody seems to still be trusting these people that we've already decided we don't trust. It's really, really confusing to me. And, and, and it's an interesting thing. You know, you and I talked for half an hour or so yesterday while we were lining up this interview. And I, I think it's so fascinating because we come from two really different sides of this thing. If you want to talk about two people who would have a lot that we don't agree on, uh, getting together and having a civil conversation <laughs> about something, we probably fit that pretty well. Uh, you know, and I haven't gone through my history with you, but uh, it's it's not similar to yours uh, <laughs> in terms of my belief systems and these patterns. And yet I am in awe at you because you, to me, you're just such a beautiful human being. You have within you a spirit that allows you to smile and laugh through this conversation when it has in so many ways been devastating to your life and your livelihood and your the most important part of your life that I can possibly imagine, which is your motherhood, which is just – that's the biggest – to me, anyway, as a father, the, the biggest tragedy of all of it is what it's done to you in terms of your ability to mother your children. It's just – it's a loss I can't imagine. And yet you seem to be able to persevere and fight through this and have a smile on your face. You had a smile on your face. Uh, the, in, every time I've seen you, at some point, when you're not crying, you're smiling. And it's beautiful. I mean, really, it, it is. It's, it's so um, – I don't know what the word is. It's inspiring, I guess, is the way is the way to put it. And I greatly appreciate that because I know, and you know, people in your group of these twelve thousand people, there are a whole lot of them that aren't going to get up and stand up and say what you're saying, and go to D.C. and sit on a panel and go to the state capitol and speak to the legislators and organize and do these things because it's just too damn hard when you're being squashed every direction that you look. And so for what you're doing, I just love it. Thanks. I mean, they can't even survive. I mean, they're, they're stuck trying to survive. They're trapped in their beds. Their bodies are electrified. I mean, so once I was able to actually get out of that zone, out of that place, I was like, had to hit the ground running and not look back. Right. Um, these people have to get better. We have to do better for them. It's, it's common sense. Someone's injured, you know, someone's out on the battlefield. You bring your soldiers home. You don't leave them out there and just say, screw you, you're whiny. You know, you bring them home, you take care of them. Um, and that's not happening for these people. But the sad thing is, is that panel that we did in Washington, D.C., Fauci was invited. The heads of the CDC <laughs> and FDA, they were invited to attend. Yep. There was a table lined up, seats and everything, their little names, they were invited to attend, okay? They didn't even bring a staffer. They didn't even send a staffer to the meeting. So we had top-of-the-line experts, PhDs, MDs, in addition to uh, people speaking about their firsthand accounts with the vaccine injuries. And the people that need to listen didn't even bother to show up. They haven't responded to us about it. They haven't addressed it with any of us. It's just radio silence. So if they're not going to be willing to even engage to see what's happening, we're not going to get anywhere unless we, the people, take care of each other. The government's not going to do it. 
we have the job to take care of each other because they're not doing it. Well, and I, I appreciate you mentioning that because that's, that was actually one of the questions that I uh, forgot to ask is kind of what the outcome was of this Ron Johnson uh, hearing. Uh, he had how, – how many of you uh, injured uh, actually were in attendance there? I can't remember, but um, we had 80 injured come okay. um, to D.C., uh, which was very taxing on everybody. You can imagine, oh, yeah. you know, chronically sick flying across the country. Um, so it was, it was definitely, you know, at the cost of people's health to get there, um, to be able to be heard and they weren't heard. And instead they were branded as anti-vax garbage and muted, you know, and cast aside. Yeah. And a, a Senator, an elected Senator from Wisconsin puts this together. He puts it up on YouTube and it's struck down. And if you want to watch that video, it's three and a half hours long. You can watch it on Rumble, uh, where they still allow freedom of speech. And uh, you can't even watch it on YouTube if you wanted to. It's just, it's unbelievable. And we're talking about, this isn't a fringe group. I want you to understand that. This is not a fringe group. This is a United States senator. These are professionals in the medical space who are specifically speaking out and saying, saying, hey, wait a minute, we've got to look at these people, these real people who did their part. You know, you talk about pulling home the soldiers who get injured. It's not just that they aren't going and rescuing you off the battlefield. They're basically saying, oh, no, 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 they're traitors. They went to the other side. So we're going to leave them there because, yeah, yeah, they're not with us. They're against us. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Criminals to his ability to make billions. Yeah. And so we have, man, <laughs> I'm so lit up. I don't know how you smile through this, Brianne. You're amazing. You really are. We've, we've it's, all grieved. There's, there's. Oh, I believe it. The grief and the loss of what we thought society should be doing. That one, that one was a hard one. It's, it's, there's nothing like this I've ever experienced in my life to tell me you're nothing but a sick nobody. So I'm nothing but a sick nobody helping other sick nobodies. That's it. We're nobodies. We are invisible. And we've also been branded as villains, as criminals. It's like, no, we just need appropriate medical care. It's not that complicated. There's a, we have people that they're, they've had family members die of COVID, right? We have, it's not about but COVID. That's not what this is about. This is about a drug causing a problem and the problem is not being addressed. It's that simple. Well, and the thing that I think is, is really important, and now I'm speaking to you listening to this show, we need your help. People who are listening to this and hearing these stories and going to places like Rumble to find videos by senators that nobody cares about, and listening to injured people who nobody apparently cares about. Well, the truth is, I know you care. You've made it an hour and 20-something minutes into this interview. You care. And if you care, you need to do what we're doing. Talk about this. Share this podcast. Uh, find Senator Johnson's uh, uh, hearing and share that. Reach out to people 
and give this information to as many people who will listen. You will have people who you care about who don't care about this message. You will. We all have those people. We have families being divided. We have church congregations being divided. We have schools being divided. And it's an absolute shame because what you're listening to right now with Brianne is real. This is a real human being who intentionally signed up for this, knowing, because unlike most of you who go out and get this COVID vaccine, she had informed consent. She knew there was risk and she took it anyway because she believed it was the right thing to do. So if you believe it's the right thing for her story to be heard, please share it. You know what Brianne did yesterday on the phone? She repeatedly said, are you sure you want to have me on your show? Because it's shows like yours talking to people like me that could pulled from the internet and then people come after people like you. And I said, yeah, I know, but you got to do what's right. And her voice needs to be heard. So help it be heard, please, please, please. Brianne, the, I don't want to keep you the rest of your day. Uh, it took us... <laughs> It took us a long time to just get this conversation started. We had about 19 internet issues uh, before we talked. And um, I know that we've been talking for a long time. So there's just a couple of things that I want to ask before I let you go. Uh, one is, what what is the real purpose of react19.org other than being a support group for the injured? What are you trying to accomplish there? So it's it's basically a patient advocacy organization. So, you know, step one, raise awareness that this is happening, increase awareness. Uh, step two is to help shift public perception, uh, to help destigmatize the whole topic of COVID vaccine reaction. And then number three, which is actually uh, has a direct impact on the injured now is to uh, collaborate with researchers and scientists throughout the world to begin to understand what's actually happening with these reactions so we can finally get these people on the path to healing. But the reason that the first two steps are so important is because people can't get recognized and so their healing can't start. So that's the three goals. And then of course, you know, trying okay. to figure out, I mean, we're trying to figure out a network of physicians. So if anyone has a network of physicians that are willing to even see us, uh, we have people all over the country that they can't even get appropriate medical care because their physicians are refusing to even recognize this is happening. Um, so we're trying to come up with a grid of physicians, a grid of psychologists. Um, so yeah, the to-do list is long, <laughs> but we're starting with those three basic steps. Yeah, it's always a, a long and, and challenging to-do list when you're uh, fighting, uh, swimming upstream like you are. So that's the uh, that those are the primary goals. Um, how can people listening to this show help you in uh, making React 19 a more effective uh, organization? Uh, we have a couple of, you know, there's there's funding that needs to happen to provide uh, compensation for physicians and psychologists uh, because we're all out of work. And so there's people losing their homes. So how can they pay for a psychologist that's going to help them uh, stay alive? Um, you know, or are they going to pay for bread on their table? You know, so uh, we do have some funding through lifefunder.com slash vax victim, V-A-X victim. Um, and that's a place where people can donate if they feel so inclined to donate. All of the proceeds are going to go to react19.org. And then, of course, just like you said before, just talk about it and not talk about it from an angle of, 
this is why you shouldn't get the vaccine. Talk right. about it as these people are suffering. These people are sick and they need help. Um, if we just need to start the conversation from the middle, um, we need to find common ground. Um, and unfortunately, it's just not happening. I mean, we all are in our camps, separate agendas, you know, and then we look at it. Um, I think we've all been conditioned at this point to look at each other and see what the differences are first in each other instead of what we have in common. So. Yeah. And I, I couldn't agree more. And, and you're right. We are in our, our camps and, and, you know, you said something, you sort of alluded to it earlier, but you didn't go into much detail, but you have people that um, presumably believe a little bit more like I do uh, that are saying you're not anti-vax enough. And people on the other side <laughs> and people on the other side <laughs> saying that you're you are anti-vax and 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 the truth of the matter is you really are in the middle right i don't you know i know who i am i know i know what the truth is and my truth is my truth um right but yeah it's it's pretty interesting to get threats from both sides you're not anti-vax enough you're not pro-vax enough and so it's like okay well i am me and i am a vaccine injured person yeah, and and you are doing exactly what I believe uh, you should be doing. And of course, it doesn't matter what I believe anyway uh, when it comes to you. But I, I again, I honor you for the for the journey that you're on and for the strength that you're showing in doing this. Because it would be nice if you could just have uh, some support from other people who aren't vax injured. I mean, you've got your 12,000, which is fantastic, but how about some people that haven't been injured, some people that are pro-vaccine, even pro-COVID vaccine, some people that are anti-vaccine saying, hey, you know what? This is my fellow human being, and as such, I love and care about her, and I want her to get the help that she needs. How about that? How about that's where we start? Because that's what this needs to turn back to. I did a show a year ago where I had this epiphany and I called the show the masked the masked versus the unmasked and I kind of postulated on how the people who were wearing masks were likely um, wearing masks out of concern that they were they were fearful of getting covid-19 they'd been told that a mask was a way to prevent covid-19 and prevent transmission of covid-19 and so they were you know doing their part to keep them and their family healthy and and probably also trying to help the community and then on the other side we had people who had read studies that said no masking probably actually doesn't help and maybe it's a way to socially condition us and all these other things and so on the one side we had uh, you know what you could call conspiracy theorists that were saying yeah this is a bunch of bs no way i'm wearing a mask and on the, the other side they're saying hey i'm going to do my part even if the mask is marginally effective it's better and and on one side we have people who are fearful of covid-19 and on another side, we have people who are fearful of government intervention in their lives. And basically, we have two people who are scared fighting against each other and not fighting the common enemy. And instead, just saying, well, you're stupid for wearing a mask. Well, you're thoughtless for not wearing a mask. We've got to stop that conversation. We have to stop that. We have to recognize that we all have our own point of view, our own perspective and perceptions. And frankly, ours are Every one of us is flawed in that perception. Every single one of us. We're all wrong to some degree. And we're all right to some degree. 
And just because my perception is this and your perception is that doesn't make me a bad person or you a bad person. It doesn't make you stupid and me smart or vice versa. It just is perception. And it's as simple as that. And we have to start treating people like they are our fellow man and people that we care about and that we want to protect and preserve. Because I really believe when it's all said and done, those in both camps feel that way. They are doing what they're doing because they care. Now, whether or not they're misguided, you get to decide. But that doesn't matter because if they're doing what they think is right, that's really what should matter the most to us. And if we can just meet in the middle, like you said, but holy goodness, is that hard to do nowadays, right? Well, think about (laughs) how much, if we were actually able to do that, think about how much power would come back to the people. Yeah, which I do believe... A lot of us, in fact, I would dare say maybe a majority of us are at least on that page. Hey, let's not have our lives dictated to us and let's be able to dictate what we want to do with our lives. And that is why I think the mandates are so incredibly uh, unpopular is because even people who've been fully vaccinated are saying, whoa, wait a minute. Just because I made that decision doesn't mean that I think my neighbor should be forced to lose his or her job because they didn't. And, you know, freedom still matters in this country. And I think that's another thing that could be a unifying uh, principle, because I actually think that to a large degree, what we're really hearing is from the fringe of, of this side and from the fringe of this side. And there's a whole lot of us in the middle that aren't that fringy in terms of our belief systems. So, yeah, well, we could talk until tomorrow and uh, I, I frankly would really enjoy that conversation. But what I would like to do uh, is I'd like to invite you uh, anytime uh, you have a platform on Vitality Radio. And if there's anything that we can do, even if it's a 10 or 15 minute update here and there about what's going on with React 19, we would absolutely love to support that because I, I do believe, I hope that this is a cause that the majority of people People can rally behind if they just understand what it really is. It's not an anti-vaccine group. Uh, Crazily enough, everybody in the group was vaccinated or loved someone who was. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) And yet they're being called anti-vax, which is the most absurd thing I can possibly imagine. This is a group of people who've been hurt and they need help and they need support. So please help and support them. Spread the word, get the information out there. Uh, it, what's the best way for people to reach out and, and uh, help? Is it going to react19.org? Is that the easy way? Yep. Yeah, they can okay. email okay. to react19.org. We've got a I'll group also, set up to field those emails. Excellent. And I'll also uh, list the links uh, for the donation for React 19, uh, for the Rumble video uh, of uh, Senator Johnson's hearing. All those will be uh, below on your podcast player so that you can link to those things and and share them and uh, get this word out there. And I would recommend to anyone, even if you think that Senator Johnson is full of garbage, I still recommend (laughs) every single person take the time to listen to that painfully long uh, video. You can even start at like 20 minutes, 30 minutes in past the intros. Um, It's a good place to start, but every single person needs to hear the information for themselves before they come up with a decision, whether or not it's legitimate. Um, The filter through the media from that meeting has been incredibly slanted And uh, I think people just need to make the decision for themselves what they think about it. 
Yeah, and and don't you know if you're if you're watching this uh, as a video, you're seeing Brienne who looks great. She doesn't look injured, uh, and that uh, may make it a little bit more challenging uh, in terms of. Uh, feeling what I think we should all be feeling for these people. If you watch uh, Senator Johnson's uh, hearing, it's a little bit of a different story. There are some people on that video that uh, have a little bit more clear uh, uh, injuries in terms of just visually seeing these people. And when you hear the stories over and over again and the variations of the of the symptoms and the side effects that people have experienced, I, I believe there is power in that. And I'll tell you, if, if you turn off The Voice or uh, The Masked Singer or uh, CNN or Fox News or whatever for a couple hours and sit through that hearing, I believe you'll be blessed for that. It's, it's something that we all need to recognize as, um, as a real problem. And I just simply don't care how you feel about the COVID vaccines, how you feel about COVID, how you feel about any of it. This is something we all need to, uh, to witness for ourselves because change needs to happen and it needs to happen now because this is happening in real time to real people and um, they need support and help and love. All right, Brianne. I think uh, I can step off my soapbox for a minute. I hope you don't ever step off of yours. Uh, keep talking. Keep sharing. I am so grateful that you were willing to give me uh, your time today. And again, please come back on anytime. Uh, you've got my number and know how to reach me. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. So that was, uh, that was a, an amazing conversation with Brianne Dressen uh, with react19.org. I want you to know if you're listening right now that uh, react19.org wasn't a thing not too long ago and uh, Brianne wasn't an anti-vaxxer and <laughs> I would say still isn't. So uh, if you're listening, please share. I greatly appreciate your time listening to me and uh, know that this is one of many now. I think I'm up to five special podcast-only episodes where you can only uh, hear them as a podcast. You can't hear them on the radio because remember that censorship word? Uh, well, it's happening to me on the radio as well. I can't say all the things that I want to say on the radio. So I'm bringing to them, bringing you to them in uh, the form of what are called Vitality Radio specials. Those specials are podcast only and they're podcast only because they will be censored if I don't put them uh, in that format. So go uh, find them. I did one with Dr. McCullough. I did one with uh, Dr. Uh, Thomas. I've done some really, really great interviews and I'm so grateful that these people are willing to speak out and tell the truth about what's happening here. Thank you so much for listening to me. I am Jared St. Clair, and this has been Vitality Radio. You've been listening to the Vitality Radio podcast. Enjoy your week. In the meantime, Jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it. Vitality Radio is researched, produced, and written by Jared St. Clair. Our awesome music is by Brian Bob Young. Support Vitality Radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or your favorite podcast source. Don't forget to follow us at Vitality Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag Vitality Radio Podcast. And if you like what you hear, go tell somebody with a share, a screenshot, or an airdrop. Thank you.
Hello, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Vitality Radio. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast has not been evaluated by the FDA. This podcast is provided with the understanding that the information shared is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a medical professional. Thank you.